Hey guys, this is Alice from the Labelled Podcast. Just a bit of a disclaimer, uh, my sound is pretty awful on this episode. It's one of the first episodes that we recorded uh, and it was before I really understood how microphones worked. So please, please be patient with us. I think we've covered some really great stuff here so if you can stick it out please do listen and i can promise you that it gets better moving forward cheers welcome to the label podcast a show about disability illness and difference i'm lucy and that's alice hi everyone and that's lola so much more than what you see we all live our lives differently kaleidoscope identity and this is who i'm meant to be i'm just labeled me i'm just labeled me Good evening, everybody, and welcome to a brand new episode of the Labelled Podcast. Today, we have Alice Evans joining us. Alice, would you like to tell the listeners what your label is? So, my label, I always think is a bit interesting because uh, I'm, I'm technically severely sight impaired. Some people will call me blind, but the condition I actually have is uh, retinitis pigmentosa. Can you tell us a bit about your condition and how it affects you in your day-to-day -day life? So RP is a degenerative sight loss condition. So for me, it means that I'm, I've got no peripheral vision and I've got sort of limited central vision as parts of the back of my eye basically die off. Mm -hmm. The thing about RP is it's one of those conditions that covers symptoms for like a wide variety of things. So there are lots of people with RP who have got a lot of sight. There are lots of people with RP who've got no sight whatsoever. For me, the biggest thing that I experience is that having that lack of peripheral vision, I am constantly tripping over things and knocking stuff over. And I also have um, night blindness. Okay. The best way to explain it is just that it takes me a really, really long time to adjust to the dark. Okay. But even when I've adjusted, my ability to see in the dark is really not as good as anybody, like people with most of their sight. Yeah, yeah. So you said that your condition is degenerative. Mm -hmm. When were you first diagnosed with RP or, or was it something that you... You know, how earlier on an age did you realise or did you know that your sight was going to be affected and could possibly get worse? So the thing about RP is that it's genetic, but in the case of my family, I'm the first person in my family to have it. We don't know whether it's just because it's the first point in kind of my family history where both parents who happen to be carriers happen to come together or if there was like a gene mutation. Because I'm the first one in my family and I'm the first born of sort of my parents' kids, mm -hmm. nobody knew to look out for it. So my parents didn't really think there was anything wrong until my little brother came along. So it was as my little brother started to walk, he's almost four years younger than me. When I was about six, my parents took me to the optometrist and it's one of those, it's really easy to spot my eye condition because 
your back, the back of your eye is supposed to be pink with blood, but the parts of my eyes that don't work, the like blood, if the blood vessels die off. Right, so there's no blood there. Yeah, so the back of my eye is patchy, in like got patchy white bits basically. Yeah. And so it's really easy for professionals to diagnose it. So my mum tells a story about taking me to the local optometrist, thinking, you know, maybe I needed glasses. My brother was finding things that like I'd drop, and he'd be like, "Oh, there it is!" and pick it up straight away, whereas I'd be looking for it. Yeah. And it was just my mum on her own, and she's there trying to wrangle a two-year-old in his pushchair. Me, who's like just trying to play with all of the equipment, <laughs> while the guy's trying to look in my eye and then break this news to my mum, and I'm just like, "What does this do?" I mean, I've got a disability. Well, my disability is cerebral palsy. As far as I know, it's not degenerative. So I've always known that I've never been able to walk and I will never be able to walk. So, it, you know, when I talk to somebody who has got a degenerative condition, I always wonder what that's like growing up, knowing that, you know, you may currently have a little sight, but in the future you may, it may get worse. How do you sort of deal with that mentally? I mean, it's it's difficult. I'll be honest, it's not something I spend a lot of time thinking about because it is such a huge thing. Yeah. I, I, I have definitely noticed a deterioration in my eyesight over the years. You know, when I was 14, I was reading regular print books. I was a bit clumsy, but you wouldn't have necessarily known it was a problem. Whereas now I don't feel safe to go out on my own. I can't read you know any even even large print is difficult for me if the contrast isn't right yeah you know so it's it's really a something I've definitely noticed a difference in and it's it in a way I'm quite lucky because it's something that happens so gradually I don't wake up one morning and go oh this is different it's yeah it's usually one of those things where kind of on reflection I'll go oh I used to be able to see that or Oh, that's, you know, I can remember what that looked like last time I was here and now the way I'm seeing it is different. There's a comforting element to it to kind of feel like that's how it's going to go. Yes, yes. Hopefully it will be a slow decline where I'll just go, okay, well, I used to be able to do this, but I can't do it so much anymore. But there is absolutely, you know, I think sometimes one day I might not be able to see any of this and it. It's really hard to fathom. The thing I always say to people is, I mean, particularly as someone who has had and, you know, still has some sight, you you literally can't imagine what it's like to be blind. Because if you have, you know, had the ability to visualise, like, see images yeah. in your brain, when you imagine, you picture things. Yes. And so I will you know, continue to picture things throughout the rest of my life. And so as a sighted person, when I sit here and go, well, what do I think it will be like to be blind? I don't picture not seeing anything. The only kind of concept I can have of it is picturing myself in a situation where I don't know where things are. And it's, it's, it's hard for me to comprehend, I think, in a lot of ways. I think that's one of the things that makes it both scary but also a little bit sort of less scary because it's not something that I go 
oh, this is going to get worse. This is going to be really hard. I'm not going to be able to do this because I, I just can't imagine what it's going to be like. No. So you just sort of take it month by month, year by year. And because I can't imagine what it's going to be like, I'm not kind of sitting there and counting it and going, oh, this is getting worse. This is getting worse. And that helps me because I feel like I'm not sitting, as I say, counting, staring down the barrel of this gun. Yeah. Because when I do think about that, it is, you know, to excuse the phrase, crippling. It really makes me just want to curl up and hide and not think about it. It's, yeah, it's a really, it's scary, I guess. So I suppose in a way, I mean, like I say, my my condition is not going to, we don't think it's going to get any worse. Um, But again, you never know. If If I think about the things I can't do rather than the things I can, I get extremely sad and distressed and upset so I tend not to you know I'm surrounded by family and friends who think you know who have always encouraged me rather than pointing out oh you could you can't do this you can't do that so I we we try not to focus on we know we know what I can't do there's no there's no need to bash me over the head with it do you know what I mean it's that similar sort of feeling I would imagine I mean yeah it's quite interesting to hear you say that because in the in terms of the things that I can't do, in a lot of ways, there's a lot of things that can be put in place to mean that I can do them. Yeah. And that's where that's where my, my husband is brilliant. He's really good at going, you know, are you struggling with this? Have you tried doing X, Y, and Z? And for you know, most of my life I've gone, Oh, I'm struggling with this, I can't do it, it's too much, I'm gonna go hide in bed and just, just not deal with it. And it's, it's tough because it is, he is doing that exact thing of going, you can't do this and really driving home that I can't do something. But then the reason he's doing it is he's, he, he's going, well, if I can understand what it is. Why you can't. Yeah. I can Then help. we can, exactly. And we can look at putting things in place to make it so that you can do this. Yeah. And that's, what, you know, I have lots of like pocket gadgets and stuff but just mean I can read while I'm out. Exactly. And that's, you know, those are the biggest things for me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I, it's not ever going to make me able to see by just opening my eyes and looking at something, but it means that I'm able to use a piece of equipment to level that field. And we were, to- we were talking, weren't we, yesterday about technology and stuff, and it makes it, you know, advances in technology is making stuff like that so much easier, you know, and... and, and so that is really encouraging, I think, that even I'm finding that technology, we're, we're currently having house renovations so that the house is a bit more accessible for me, but not completely accessible that nobody else can use it. It's like mm-hmm. finding that nice balance, you know, and there are people who would probably look at me really weird if they could see how I carry a wash basket because I need to hold it and push myself. So I, <laughs> I carry it on my head. Okay. <laughs> so, but to anybody else on the outside they think what is she doing do you know what I mean but I know it works I mean if it makes you feel any better when you you're working a guide dog you generally you only use your left hand but occasionally you need to use your right hand for holding the lead or whatever yes and a good 87% of the time that I am outside with my dog my right hand has got a coffee cup in it Okay. So I have 100% been known to be like, right, lead in my mouth. No, we're going this way. 
or like I don't have a hand to carry my shopping because I've got like coffee in one hand, dog in the other hand. Yeah. So I am walking through Superdrug with a thing of sanitary towels just in my mouth, <laughs> and I'm like. I spend a lot of time with dogs. You learn to mim- mimic people's behaviour. Honestly, the, the 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 thing putting stuff in your mouth to carry it, I I do that all the time. It's like my second hand, my mouth is <laughs> ridiculous. So um, you just mentioned there your guide dog. Can you talk to me a little bit about? I mean, I've seen like tweets and stuff and video clips of people that that use a, an assistance dog, and I have seen like they wear a body camera as well. And like people just like barging into the dog, jumping over the dog, just like oh sorry, I didn't see you there. When it's a quite a big dog, what's you, what's your experience of uh, like owning and having a guide dog in society? I've had a real mix from both sides. So I literally, I was once in the park. It was to, granted it was nighttime, and my dog is a black Labrador, but she had her harness on and I'd stopped next to there's this specific bin that's by a grass verge that's got a lamppost next to it that is ideal for stopping halfway on the route home to see if the dog wants to go to the toilet right okay so I had stopped there yeah and I was going come on Lola busy busy and some dick on a bike literally cycled into the side of my dog And I was like, mate, like, I can see this dog, how he was just not paying attention. Like, if that had been a pushchair or anything, he would have gone into it. The the harness has got, like, isn't it, like, fluorescent yellow? Yeah, yeah, it's fluorescent. It really, it's just, yeah. And, and we were under an orange streetlight, so you really could see it. But anyway, so I, I have had incidents like that. I mean, for me... The biggest issue I have with people and my dog is people talking to her. My dog's really affectionate and really friendly and playful. And so people walk past her and go, oh, she's like, oh, amazing. Somebody wants to be my friend. Sounds like me, to be fair. <laughs> I hope you smell better than my dog. <laughs> Yeah, she'll be, and she will then absolutely be like, she does, she gives no shits about me. And this is the thing that, that I'm always happy to say to people about, you know, guide dogs and service dogs in general. They're always like, oh, they're so clever and they're so loyal and all of this. And I'm like, I love my dog. She's awesome, but she's just a very well-trained dog. Yeah. Like, what she can do is because she's been trained to do it. Fundamentally, she's just a mad Labrador. Yes. And the only way that I get her to do things is by going, oh, this is awesome, let's do this. And she said, this is awesome. <laughs> but if something more awesome comes along, <laughs> fuck off, Have mom. You... <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever had, like, occasions where she's just completely, like, lost the plot a bit? Or is she very well behaved in that? I had a Facebook memory the other day of... Uh, in my local shopping centre, this was a couple of years ago now, when you were allowed out in the world and to do things. Yeah. And I, I stopped in my shopping centre to get some cash out. And I accidentally, I dropped my harness, but I had been holding onto the lead while I used the cash machine. And I somehow accidentally dropped the lead while I was putting my cash away and didn't notice straight away until I put my cash away and I sort of took a step back and went to pick up 
the harness and was like, there's no dog here. Oh, no. And I was, <laughs> and I literally, I stood there and I just, I looked around and I went, Lola. <laughs> Lola. And I just started kind of going, um, um. And then, and then I heard a child crying. <laughs> and I thought, oh, I know where my dog is. <laughs> And this very nice lady who was obviously out having a cup of coffee with her friend brought my dog over to me and was like, is this, is this yours? Is this what you're looking for? And I was like, thank you. I'm so sorry. I don't know what happened. And she was like, she just came over and put her face in the face of this little kid that was in a pram because they were eating something. Oh, <laughs> she was hungry. She just went over to be like, oh, what have you got? Can I have some? <laughs> and this poor fucking child, out of the blue, this terrifying, stinking dog, <laughs> just like, oh, let's be friends. <gasps> that does actually sound like me. <laughs> I think your dog is my spirit animal. And we've had incidents where, like, my husband will meet me somewhere after work and I'll be like sitting in a cafe, sitting at the table with a cup of coffee. And what I'll do is, if I'm going to be sitting around for a while, I'll take the, dog, the harness off yeah. and I'll loop the lead around the table leg or something. So she can kind of settle down, but she can, she can wander around a little bit. She can sniff the floor for crumbs. <laughs> she, she saw my husband from about eight feet away and beethoven the table where she just ran to him. And honest gosh, she took this cafe table with her. My coffee was gone. And I'm just sitting there going, um, Lola? Oh, no. I, I don't think this is the experience of all guide dog owners. I think I have a particularly uh, boisterous and cheeky dog. Makes it interested at dinner parties, though, doesn't it? <laughs> I've got a lot of stories. And, of course, Lola comes with me to every dinner party. Of course. I once went out for a friend's birthday and I'd done the tying the dog to the table leg thing and it was there was a bunch of us out so we were at this really long table and um, we were just having a chat and I was at one like the far left hand end of the table and then my friend um, Adam who is actually going to be doing the editing for this. Hi Adam. <laughs> Adam was at the other end of the table and he just suddenly went Hello, Lola. And I was like, <laughs> she's got no, she's, she's tied to the table. What are you talking about? And I looked down and she just somehow managed to get her head out of her collar um. and just fucked off. <laughs> Thank God she went right to go and see Adam and all of my friends and not left into the kitchen of the restaurant we were sitting in. To be honest, if it's a dog, you would expect them to go into the kitchen. I just, it's just, yeah. So... So it's, it's never never dull. No, that's for sure. Never ever dull. No. So um, I've known you quite a while now, Alice, and you were telling me that um, Lola is going into retirement soon. Is that right? Yeah. So she'll be ten in February, and guide dogs work anywhere between sort of the ages eight to ten. They like to give them a couple of years of retirement because you know nobody wants to be working when they're old. And she's also, you know, all the stories I've just told you have they, they've gotten worse over the years because when I first got her the, the really exciting thing was just going out yeah. and going to all these different places we went to and you know all the people we'd see and stuff like that and just just working was interesting but as she's gotten older she's just 
the working's not as interesting to her anymore. So she's distracted by what's going on around her. Yeah. And so we got to the point where, you know, I've been trying to make her be really kind of concentrated on the walks so that, you know, she had more, she, she was just more focused. Yeah. So we were, it just, it just stopped being fun. Like it used to be, oh, let's take a stroll into town and she could have a bit of a look around, but she'd also be guiding me and then we'd stop somewhere and I'd have a coffee and it would be great. She could eat crumbs off the floor. Yeah. But then after a while it got to be, you know, we'd be walking somewhere and I'd have to keep saying to her, no, you need to focus and concentrate. You can't just look around because she was looking around more and looking around and ignoring her duties whereas before she kind of got a bit of a balance yeah it's like she's got comfortable in the job <laughs> yeah but it's 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 more than that because you know i have i have had i had a good five years with this dog of just her being brilliant of being you know i i mean she's always been a bit distracted and a bit excitable but it's gotten to the point now where she's and I think lockdown has really not helped no. because over lockdown, I didn't go anywhere. I didn't do anything. So all she was doing was going for walks in the park where she got to go off the lead and run around. And she was just being, she was just being a, uh, your average dog. Yeah. And to go from getting to run around off the lead in the park, you know, several times a week and that being really fun to now back in the harness and I've got to walk mum to the bus stop and sit quietly for 10 minutes while we were at the bus. You can understand why she's like, no, no, I know what else is out there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I've had a holiday for six months. Yeah. Yeah, I know. So in terms of getting a new guide dog, do you know anything about the new guide dog you're getting? Or it's a bit like, I mean, I know it's not exactly like I've got to get a new PA for who to work alongside me in a few weeks time. And my main concern is whether they're going to like me and we're going to get on is one of the big concerns up there. Is it the same with a guide dog? Because, I mean, do, do guide dogs have a habit of not liking their owners? I don't know. I mean, guide dogs generally, they're Labrador or Labrador based stock. And I've never met a Labrador that doesn't like most people. Yeah. What they try, they do try and match you depending kind of your personality and stuff. So they'll try and find a dog that is, you know, if you're a very active person, if you're a very playful person, you know, we are a very silly family. <laughs> in our new house. You can basically walk in one big circle from the front door, through the living room, through the dining room, through the kitchen, back into the hall by the front door. My husband's new favorite game is to just run in circles around the house while the dog chases him. Yeah. And it's great fun for both of them. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> and uh it's always nice for me because when they're playing together it means i get peace and quiet for myself mm. so they, they'll look to find somebody who will fit in with our family um so we'll probably have somebody who is you know quite sort of got a lot of personality got a lot of interest in going to new places and doing things and not a sort of a sitting around just chilling out quietly dog although i'm I'm a very sitting around person in my personal sort of time. I am quite busy in my life. Yeah. So I need a dog that kind of goes out and does stuff. And yeah. There's a lot of criteria that they kind of want to match you with. It's not just about personality. It's also about, you know, how, how you walk, how fast you walk. So do they give you like two or three dogs and then... They just 
they basically they find a dog that they think would be a good fit for you and they introduce you and you do a walk with them and if you get on then they start kind of moving things forward Lola's my first guide dog so this is all of a bit of a new experience for me mm. she like so for I spent a while getting to know like people at guide dogs before I got Lola they asked me a bit about my life what I like to do you know the sorts of activities I do and all of that stuff and then went away and came back and said we think we've got a dog for you and they did I did recently have a sort of a trial I've been calling it a uh, test drive yeah <laughs> I was gonna say first date with a dog but that's completely that's like some channel five documentary <laughs> I'd watch that <laughs> Sorry, carry on. And I sort of test drove a guide dog a couple of weeks ago just to see how we got on. And she was she was a very lovely dog and very sort of sweet. But we decided for a couple of reasons that she wouldn't be the, quite the right fit for me and for kind of our family. Yeah. So, you know, they do try and kind of find that because the worst you know if you don't get on with your dog if there's if it's not a good match and a good relationship then it's just going to break down and yeah. they're either going to have to take that dog away and try and find them a new owner or you know then or it will be too late and that dog won't you know won't train well with a new owner so they'll just end up they've spent all this money on a dog that isn't actually going to be able to you know provide the service it's supposed to be no and it's hard finding that line. It is a service animal. She is my mobility aid, but she's also, you know, the person. I say person. Obviously, I know she's a dog. Yeah, but I know what you mean. She's she's the person I spend most time with. I spend more time with my dog than I do with my husband. With anybody, she has seen me at my absolute most vulnerable. You know, she comes to smear tests with me. Yeah. You know, there's nobody who can react better to my personality and, and me than my dog. Mm. So you said before about um, not feeling very confident to go out on your own anymore now that your sight is deteriorating. Yeah. Do you think having having a guide dog helps? And what kind of things, what kind of tips and tricks do you use to help build your confidence up again? Because I always think you, you're very confident. You come across as very confident. The own, I mean, tips and tricks is kind of a hard one because really the, the, for me, it's always kind of been about necessity. You know, when they, when they matched me with Lola, she was two and a half. She had all this energy. I had to take her out every day. I had to do stuff with her every day. Otherwise she'd be climbing the walls. Yeah. So I just had to suck it up and get out. And do you think that was a good thing? Yeah, definitely. Because the more I did it, the more I saw that she enjoyed it, the more joy I got from just spending time with her, you know, and like, it's really nice. I've always got someone to talk to. Yeah. Obviously, she's got nothing interesting to say in return. <laughs> but you know, it's, it, it really, that really helped. I felt like I, that necessity of having to take her out, helped me develop a relationship with her and then the relationship that I developed with her made me feel confident enough because I felt like there was somebody who was always going to be on my side yes yes like you know you've got you've got a mate sort of egging you on going you can do it you can do it kind of thing she's my 
you know, she's like an extra limb to me. And she's the she's the confident one who goes, come on then, let's go and do this. <laughs> and I go, oh, okay, well, if Lola thinks we can do it, then let's fucking do we'll, it. We'll do it, we'll do it. Um, talking about confidence, and I know that you're very passionate about sort of body confidence and all that kind of being self-confident in that kind of respect. How do you think that your impairment has affected your your own body confidence and and how how has that changed over the years if has it changed over the years i think for a long time i was not not actively told by anybody certainly not told by my parents in any way that my body was my body didn't work properly and i think i got that feeling from society i got that feeling from from physically not being able to do some of the things that you know my peers could do because I couldn't see or not feeling safe to do those things or there was absolutely an element in just you know there's a there is a difference between going what can't you do how can we fix it and you can't do this why don't you go and do that instead Mm. which was kind of the approach I had at school I can remember I can remember netball and I was just like, I'm not, I'm not a team sports person just in general. Can I just tell you, I hated PE when I was at school. Yeah. I did once break a girl's arm in hockey. <gasps> she, uh, no, what makes it worse is that she had brittle bones. Oh, no. <laughs> did you do it on purpose? No. No, I'd, no. Uh, people might think I did it on purpose. She was in the way, and I got a bit carried away and lifted it above my head, the hockey stick. And before, <laughs> <laughs> before I knew it, it was just like a crack. And, uh, and she just looked at me and went, my, you've just broken my arm. And I went, what? She went, you've just broken my arm. So um, I've never lived that down. I'm not, I'm not a Paralympian or a team player or anything, really, because I just, I'm not very good at sport. I'm terrible. But um, uh, I I I like I like exercise I can do on my own. Like I like exercise where I can switch my brain up and just kind of do you know run or do yoga. Um, so like obviously I don't run. I've tried running with my dog. I die because she just <laughs> we'd be halfway down so she'd be like, oh, what's that over there? <laughs> and I'd be in a canal. Or have you got a running machine then? Or We've got a treadmill. And before before the world went horrible, uh, I did have a friend I went guide running with. Right. Um, but obviously, that's literally like me holding on to her. You cannot do that socially distanced. No, no you can't. <laughs> that's not, no. not a thing at the moment. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I can remember in netball yeah i went to, i went to an all-girls school as well and i'm i went to a mainstream school so i was the weird blind girl at school uh, okay and i remember they decided that they were going to make me take part in netball and i was like this really seems like i can understand there are some team kind of things that you can make accessible but i was a 15, 14 year old girl. <laughs> I did not want to play fucking netball. No. But they were like, no, we, all of the rest of these girls here are miserable and outside. You have to be miserable and outside. 
on top of also being disabled. Did you not use the disabled card? Because I would have done. I'd have put it on really thick. I tried. No, they went, they went, we'll just make sure people say your name before they throw the ball <laughs> to you. <laughs> okay. So I got uh, 20 minutes of Alice smacking <laughs> the face with a netball. <laughs> Alice smacking the side with a netball. <laughs> and they're really heavy. And stuff is coming at me as well. I'm, I'm not a, like... You know, if my husband tries to like chuck the TV remote or something at me, my immediate reaction is, oh my God, hands over my face, close my eyes, I'm going to die. <laughs> Mine too. It's so funny. Yeah. And so I'm just, I could just, and I look back and I think, if that had been my daughter, like, if, <laughs> if, knowing me, I probably didn't tell my parents about it because I would have been, I would be really mortified about it. I would have found it really, like, that would have been really, traumatizing mm. for me i mean oh, yeah. i remember it just shows it really was yeah. upsetting for me yeah yeah i completely um, agree because it was you know it was that awesome combination of being you know feeling like a social outcast but also being physically battered by netballs so yeah it was i can't even remember the question you asked me about um body confidence <laughs> oh yeah yeah so for me there's been a lot over the years of feeling like my body is stopping me or that I, because of my disability, I can't do the things that other people can do. And, and I mean, you know, when you look at it kind of logically, yes, that's, that's exactly what's happening. But I am, I am generally quite a confident person. I am absolutely a, well, let's see what happens with this. Let's have a go. And so to spend your life going, well, let's have a go, and then having a go and going, oh, no, I can't do it, it's really hard, or having a go and that go is, you know, being hit in the face with a netball. Yeah. It took away, it didn't take away from my confidence about my personality, and my, because I, you know, my, my parents raised me to go, you can do whatever you want to do. Mm. And that's great. I can do almost everything I want to do but there are some things I can't do because I physically can't see well enough to do it no and I know you know that there are lots of blind sports as blind cricket and stuff like that I I tried playing blind tennis once and basically stood there with the tennis racket in front of my face going oh, I don't like <laughs> can I just say I do not understand cricket and I do not understand tennis my best friend he likes tennis and every time Wimbledon is on he comes around and explains Wimbledon and then has to come back the next year and explain Wimbledon again because <laughs> I, I've forgotten it. The only interest I have in tennis is strawberries and pims. Yes. Well, I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I don't really like pims either, really. So I'll just have the strawberries, please. Okay. Um, <laughs> but no, it's, it's, really, it's really fascinating because, I mean, obviously with, with me... I've got a, a very visible physical disability and I do think that having a disability where you know I'm so much shorter than other people my age I'm I'm not very tall so what what are how tall are you four foot something really yeah I'm I'm a little titch yeah and and also you know, I've got I've got what we call a CP belly because I sit down all the time, and it doesn't matter how much weight I lose, 
I've always got this belly. So I've never really found, I've never really thought of myself as somebody who is like conventionally pretty. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. conventionally yeah. attractive, not pretty. Pretty is the wrong word because pretty, you can be pretty. And I know what you mean. Do you know what I mean? You, you meet in that, the, the ideal standards of women, yeah. bodiness. And I, yeah. I think that when I was a kid growing up and when I was a teenager, I never saw any anybody like me in magazines or on the television or anybody like that. Whereas nowadays there is more sort of representation of people in wheelchairs, you know, in magazines and things like that. Maybe not the television, but it is getting better. And I just wondered, like, I mean, that I think I think that has had a knock on effect with my confidence now as an adult I, I constantly think like oh you, like somebody somebody will say somebody will, like if we're, we're out somewhere and somebody my friend will clock somebody looking at me and it's a bloke and a quite nice looking bloke that like she'll go oh he's looking at you and I'm like no he's not looking at me why would he be looking at me what's he looking at me for and I but I think that is ingrained in the whole you know body confidence thing it's it's interesting for me because you know, if you put me somewhere and I don't have to walk around and I don't have to do any reading and stuff like that, like I don't, I don't have a disability. Yeah. I mean, I do have a disability because I constantly see flashing lights and shit like that, but I don't have a visible disability. I don't have visible needs. And so for me, seeing, you know, perfume adverts of women lounging on the beach or whatever, you know, in their bikinis, I think that that could be me. And I still feel that pressure of that's what I should look like. Yeah. Because there's no reason that I, you know, I, sh I should look like some beautiful, you know, model. And I don't. And... That's not because of my disability. I think the the pressure that you feel is the same sort of pressure that any other woman feels. Yeah, you know? but there is there there is that because I have also had that where my my body isn't quite letting me do the things that I may want to do. It's it has kind of, does turn into a bit of a double edged sword of going. I guess double edged sword's not really the right metaphor, but it's it, it, it's 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 a two-headed beast because i'm going okay so i'm feeling all the pressure that most women are feeling about that kind of you know western ideal woman but i'm also and, and you know all of those women are going my body isn't good enough my body isn't good enough and i'm going my body isn't good enough and my body's not good enough because my eyes don't work yeah. the way that I want them to. Exactly. So it's I'm getting the the two sides of it. I don't know about you, Alice, but I always feel like it's a bit of a two-headed beast for me in that respect because in some respects there are bits of my body that I really don't like, and there in the other respect there is bits of my body that I am so proud of because in spite of everything all the barriers that it's had to do you know the muscle tension the aches the pains everything it's still here and I'm still existing and I'm still able to have a life so it's a very difficult balance to say I completely love my body and and it's it, you know I, I love 
the way I am and every it's it's very difficult to just outrightly say I am body confident when actually I can't really say that because even though I'm proud of it there are bits of it that I wish didn't look the way they look yeah. or yeah. that kind of thing it's taken me quite a lot of work to get to a point where I'm for me it's about how I feel in my body and I know that I feel I feel really good if I'm doing yoga and running a bit, not because it keeps me thin or whatever, but because doing those things feel, you know, you get the endorphins in the moment, but also the yoga, I suffer from, I get, when I get stressed, I get real bad muscle tension absolutely everywhere. And for years, it's given me really hideous IBS because I just get so wound, like literally physically wound up yeah um, you know and I get random cramps and I've recently started experiencing uh, sciatic pain from just getting phys- feeling physically so tense yeah and so doing stuff like yoga and doing a bit of strength work and stuff like that is really good for me because it it loosens my body up and so I end up feeling actually happier and more comfortable in my physical self the fact that it does mean that it keeps me a bit trimmer or whatever. Work also works for my favorite because I really like to have like donuts and cake for breakfast. So I get to have my cake and eat it, literally. <laughs> I definitely think that we have the same outlook on that these sorts of issues because I mean, I've recently been on a, a diet and I've given up refined carbs, refined sugar. I've stopped drinking, which is a big mistake because <laughs> <laughs> I could really do with a drink. Um, and I didn't do that to make me look better necessarily. If I lose a few pounds that's and my clothes fit better, that's brilliant. But if it helps with my aches and my pains and makes me yeah. feel more comfortable to do yeah. things in my day-to-day life, then I'm all for it. Do you know what I mean? And I think that's that's exactly the same for you is what I'm I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, you know, I I think about like I look at Jennifer Aniston and I think she, especially, is awful. You consider how old she is. I hate myself for saying it, but <laughs> considering how old she is, she looks freaking amazing. She does. But it's because she basically lives on chia seeds and cucumber water. Yeah. And I'm sorry, but life is too fucking short. <laughs> yeah, it is. It really is. When I was talking to my GP about, you know, losing some weight and things and starting to feel a little bit better and, and I said, you know, I actually said to him, I, you know, I'm giving up all the sugar and the carbs and everything. I said, so I'll be thin and I'll be healthy, but I'll be miserable. And he goes, he said, Lucy, you're 33 years old. He said, just, you know, you can take your foot off the pedal now and again. Just don't eat like it. Don't eat all that crap constantly. It's, it's about balance, isn't it? Yeah. And I am one of these comfort eaters. If something, if something is upsetting me i will eat all of the ice cream all of the crisps and have all of the booze just to make me feel a little bit better and it never does i think i've i've got quite lucky i've done i've done a lot of work over the years on sort of my relationship with food Mm. and so for me i i i don't like eating stuff if it doesn't make me feel good no it doesn't feel right in that moment and sometimes particularly over the summer I will eat just fruit and yogurt and just 
more fruit because that's that makes me feel really good in the sunshine when it's warm just you know and I can I will fill up on fruit throughout the day and I might go you know three or four days without having any like any carbs any oh sort of refined carbs no bread or pasta or anything but then I also you know I know that I really like pizza it makes me really happy <laughs> I really like hot carbs with cheese it really is a really good thing to just make me oh yeah it's like we're coming towards the end of October and Alice will tell you that I have been giving I've given up drinking for October for uh, Macmillan cancer support and I is instant I'm full of instant regret that has been lingering for 31 days um so the one thing I am looking forward to is a beer and a cheeseburger on yeah. uh, on November the 1st and that is what I'm looking forward to and I have realized that this diet I've been on and I have lost quite a lot of weight um on it I have my relationship with food after that eight, initial eight weeks of restricting yourself. They say after that eight weeks, have a bit of a rest period. And then if you want to lose more down the line, do it again, have a rest period. So it's a kind of balancing act, really. And, yeah. I, and I have realized that my relationship with food has got better purely, I think, because I am feeling better. You know, it has so much more health benefits. I think the worst thing that you can do is, and don't get me wrong, I do it, but the worst thing that you can do is comfort eat because food isn't going to make, isn't going to help you deal with the difficult emotions. You should eat food and enjoy it and it should bring you joy and it should make you feel good. Yeah. But you shouldn't eat food to make, to stop you, yourself feeling bad. And I've also, that doesn't work. I've also realised as well that you, if you do have the odd treat and you fall off the wagon and you have a bag of chips, don't feel guilty when you should be on a diet. Don't feel guilty about having the bag of chips if you really want the bag of chips. It's a bag of chips. It's not going to do any harm so long as you are sensible with it. And that's, I think, I think I am learning very slowly. It's all right. Do you know what I mean? It's fine. So long as you keep an eye on it and don't end up down McDonald's every morning before they open with your nose pushed up against the door let me in can i have a bake my muffin please it's going to be fine you know and it just makes everything easier it makes transferring easier it makes moving around yeah. easier it just makes everything easier and it makes sense to look after yourself rather yeah. than comfy i i definitely for for a long time had this this voice in my head telling me if i knocked something over as i walked past it yeah. there was a voice in my head that said you knocked that over because you've got big hips not because i can't see and it was in the part of my vision like that isn't there and that i of course i knocked it over because some dickhead left something on the corner of a table in the house of somebody who can't see yeah but i and i don't you know i don't know where it came from i don't know how it that kind of voice grew in my head but that that was a voice in my head for a really long time that would say things like that to me and so I brought those two things together and it was really it took a lot to separate them again and to learn that actually it might I might feel really horrible if I knock something over you know I've broken people's favorite mugs and knocked over pictures of you know grandparents and stuff like that you know I, I have done 
stuff that I feel really shitty about doing that's been a complete accident mm. and it's learning that kind of well it was an accident with something you can't have you don't have any control over yeah. and I think that you know you can you can control your weight a lot of people can control their weight not everybody can but there are ways of controlling your weight but actually controlling your weight isn't going to control your ability to see fundamentally that's what it came down to for me and so I had to try and separate that I learned that you know if I wanted to if I want to change my body if I want to change the way my body looks that I need to put the work into it and I need to address it but I can't address it in an attempt to also try and address my visual impairment because I could be 30 stone or I could be three stone and neither of those is going to help me see any better it's been a really really interesting we've covered a lot of topics in this we hour. have yeah and uh it's been really really interesting to talk to you about your life with a guide dog and your blindness and your body confidence issues uh thank you so much for sharing your story with us Alice um Thank you. I think we're gonna. Yeah, I think that's where we wrap it up. So thanks yeah. very much for joining me. Thanks for listening to the Labeled Podcast. If you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe. You can follow us on social media at Labeled Podcast. Our thanks go to our editor Adam Hall, our music composer Maisie Crunden, and our graphic designer Sarah Coley. We'll, we'll see, see you next time. time.